fact, what I have seen is the professional namers can often not generate the names that make it to the final uh, selection. And sometimes those names come from, uh, in one case, came from a line cook in a restaurant group who uh, had the winning naming selection. This is Brand Tune, episode 19. My guest today is Jeremy Miller, and we're discussing naming. Now, he's written the book, Brand New Name. So this episode is packed with value if you're looking to name anything in your business. In episode 18, Stephen Robertson pointed out the importance of giving products a name and having a domain name and social media profiles for them. This gives you options such as to spin out a product into a separate business or to sell it off. Understanding the legal side of naming is extremely important, which Jeremy does, even though he's a brand strategist and not a lawyer. So listen on, and I'm sure you'll get a ton of value from this session. Hello, and welcome to Brandtuned, the show for entrepreneurs, where we discuss personal and business brands to give you ideas and inspiration to stand out, win business, and be heard in a noisy world. I'm Shireen Smith, lawyer, author, and curious business owner, keen to uncover what moves the needle in branding. Topics I explore include how the brand impacts your success once it's been designed. Design means how things work, not just how they look. So how does the brand help you to reach success so you have more time, more money, and less stress? What role does intellectual property and brand protection play in that success? And what's involved to monetize your brand using franchising or licensing? Subscribe to the podcast and find out more. How has this coronavirus situation affected you? Now, I moved to Hastings a year ago from Islington in London. It took us a good five years to find the right house and the right location to move to. It was worth taking our time over it because we've ended up with a lovely big house. All the building works we wanted to do have now been completed. So I've been really lucky to be locked down here at this point in time. If the lockdown had happened in March 2019, I don't know what would have happened. We were poised to exchange contracts and we hadn't tied the contract on the sale in with the purchase. So it could have been very awkward. Hello, Jeremy. I'm delighted to welcome you to the podcast, Brand Tuned. So tell me, what do you do? Tell us a little bit about your background. Sure. Well, thank you, Shireen. Thank you for having me on today's podcast. Um, 
I am uh, the president of Sticky Branding, which is a brand building agency. And I uh, work with companies from all around the world to help them grow sticky brands. And uh, and this has been something we've done for a long time. And and it's been an evolving practice and business, uh, especially right now with everything that's going on with COVID. Uh, the shifting of branding and marketing and strategy has never become more important because the question today is, how do you recover those customers and revenue taken by COVID-19. And so that's been the thrust of my work for the last several months. Your book, Brand New Name, has quite an innovative approach to naming a product or service. Can you tell listeners a bit more about that and how it came about? Sure. So Brand New Name is what I would describe as a proven step-by-step process to create an unforgettable brand name. And so what the book does is the first part of the book is giving you the background and, and information and and an inspiration of why naming is so important. And then the second part is everything that you would need to name something, whether it's your company, a product, a service, an idea, it doesn't matter. And it gives you all the tools over a course of three to four weeks to come up with a strategy, generate lots of ideas, and test and select it. Uh, and the the reason I wrote this book is when you go on Amazon or anywhere else to look for for naming books, there's there's a there's not very many, and b they tend to be very much telling you about the inspiration of things without telling you the how. And I really want to try and provide readers and entrepreneurs and, and marketers with a really structured, effective way to name something without having to thrash around and figure it out on their own. So what do you think is the most important aspect of naming that people should take into account when naming their business, methodologies, products, or whatever? I think there's really two things that are really important. The first thing is is the strategy of everything, that you have to be clear on what you're naming and why you're naming and how it's going to stand out in the market. That if you don't have a strategy, then you just start randomly generating words and you have nothing to stand on. Uh, And then the second thing that is so important is in the naming process, you have to generate a lot of potential names because we are experiencing a naming drought that we are trademarking and registering all the names, whether on .coms and domain names. So the, the hard part of naming is not coming up with a great idea. The hard part is finding an available name. If you are making up a totally new name, you're effectively injecting meaning into something that didn't exist before. I know Google was Google, but essentially it didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't mean anything mm-hmm. to users when the business first chose that name. So what are the pros and cons in your view of choosing a meaningless name as against one that's suggestive of what your business does or sells? I think with Google, you have two dynamics. One, and it's an invented word. And then you'd have names like Kodak or Acura that are invented words. And when Mm. you invent a word, it tends to be an abstract term or an empty vessel. And so the benefit of that is you can breathe life into it in any way you want. And that's exactly what George Eastman did when he created Kodak back in the late 1800s. He wanted to create a name that had no uh, meaning in any culture, any language, or any country so that it only represented his business and brand. 
the now the benefit of that is that you have this empty vessel you can breathe life into it the hard part of it is you have to breathe life into it you have no nothing else to anchor it on whereas when you hear uh, a name like black hole which is just this area in space that sucks everything into it you immediately have two words that you know black and hole and it creates a visual impression in your mind of what that thing is so oftentimes we will gravitate towards real words that can either be suggest suggestive or descriptive because it's easier to convey meaning whereas if you've got a lot of budget or you're you've got a strategy that says you want to breathe life into it then an abstract word's going to make sense so it really is going to depend a little bit on what you're building and why so strategy is is a word that can mean almost anything. So what do people need to actually work out first before they're ready to approach a naming project? You know, should they be clear about who their ideal client is? You know, why that matters? What exactly does strategy cover? Strategy in this case is really uh, uh, focusing on clarifying in your mind what it is that this brand is or what this this product or service will be and how the name needs to perform and what you're really trying to establish are some guidelines for success and this is what i encourage you to do in part one of uh, the brand new name process so we give a set of exercises and one of the exercises is, is to create a namescape and that is to plot all the competitors' names within your industry related to what you're trying to name. And in doing so, you start to see naming trends. Are there lots of acronyms? Are there lots of invented words? Are, how are people, are, are there common words and phrases? And that gives you a sense of what is it going to take to stand out amongst the competitors. You also want to understand things like audience, tone, character length. For example, if this is a, an app going on the app store, it's probably going to be a short name because you can't put 10 or 15 characters onto an app on the iPhone or Android screen. So you set the criteria for success and the guidelines, and that both informs the creative process and when you're generating names, as well as the selection process. You need to be able to come back to this strategy again and again so that you know that you are finding and choosing a name that is relevant for what you need it to do. So would you involve designers at this stage if you want a sort of verbal basis on which to design the brand? You could. Uh, so the way Brand New Name is designed is it's a, it's a naming sprint. So we try to, to bring together a group of employees or, or individuals that are involved in the whole cycle. So in your creative team, you might involve a graphic designer or, or another person to help inform some of the decisions. But if you are having product or, or design restrictions that are going to come into this, they're probably good people to involve not only in the strategy, but in the, uh, the the naming sprint, the generation of names, as well as selection. And so having a, a nice cross-section of people involved in this really does become an asset in the naming process. So would you involve a copywriter as well? If you were the founder of a new business and without a team, looking for a name for the business you know how would you go about making the choice what sort of group would you put together to help you 
Sure. Well, I can give you a very specific example. Um, there is uh, an Instagrammer who ho- ho- focuses on, on books, Kale Le- Lechtemann, and he is launching a production company. Now, he is a, a startup individual and doesn't have uh, any employees at this point. So what he did is he grabbed a group of uh, individuals that were friends, colleagues, uh, other followers on Instagram, and he put his sprinting team together. And there were eight of them that participated in the process. Now, he wrote the strategy and does. Uh, but in the naming sprint, he had uh, this group that he brought together. None of them were employees. They all volunteered. They all participated. And they all communicated in a, in a private chat on Instagram. And uh, and what was amazing, the, the, the fear was, well, these people don't work for me. I'm not paying them. How are they going to want to participate? They loved it. They loved the act of, of the creative contributions. They loved supporting Kale. Uh, he gamified it and, and created, created small rewards for participation. And uh, And so if you have an opportunity to involve a copywriter, by all means, do that. But naming is not necessarily copywriting at this stage, that you are really looking uh, for perspective and ideas from many different sources. And oftentimes what I have seen is the professional namers can often not generate the names that make it to the final uh, selection. And sometimes those names come from uh, in one case, came from a line cook in a restaurant group who uh, had the winning naming selection. That brilliance comes from many places, and don't assume that you have to be a master of language to c- come up with a brilliant idea for a name. Obviously, finding a name is one thing, but the legal requirements are another, you know, mm-hmm. to create something that's protectable, that is available. You know, what's your advice for ensuring that the legal dimension is properly covered off? Hire you. Hire you. <laughs> <laughs> you, you need to work yeah. with uh, legal in some way. Uh, you're not to be able to do it on your own. So if if you need a trademark, then I recommend engaging uh, a lawyer, a trademark lawyer, early in the process, especially for knockout searches to, to in your testing and selection. So in the book, what we talk about is uh, shortlisting. And you can do some of the, 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 the pre-searching on your own to eliminate the obvious non-starters. So looking at the trademark databases across the varying regions, looking at Google, looking at uh, the domain registers, and seeing what's available. But uh, if owning the trademark is important, those searches are only going to take you so far. So what I often recommend when the stakes are high is to engage uh, your lawyer at this stage and send them, say, the top five or ten to do knockout searches, to do a, just a second uh, uh, stage to make sure that um, they can uh, eliminate any of the non-starters. But let me ask you, since you're the expert on this, how would what would you recommend uh, when you, you've got your, your candidates? When should they engage you and, and what would be the steps? I would actually suggest having a lawyer on board during the naming process so that people don't get too attached to a name. I mean, obviously, you need to brainstorm and come up with names, but it's worth knowing quite early on if a name isn't going to be protectable. 
or if it's not available. I mean, to my mind, protectability is absolutely key because otherwise you've got no protection against Me Too competitors. Mm -hmm. You know, you're effectively, your marketing budget is going to support all your competitors who can use the same name. So it's really important to have a name that you can protect. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, involving somebody, uh, a trademark expert in the team is probably a good idea. And it doesn't actually need to cost a lot because it's more their expertise that's coming into play. They don't need to spend a lot of time, um, but they can add a lot of value. Yeah, I think that's key. And that's what we find is, so the way the brand new name is structured is so week one, you build your naming strategy, assemble your creative team. And in that the sprint team, uh, you want to have as many people as possible. So um, one organization I worked with recently, they had 20 people on the team. And then five days through the exercises, they generated 1,048 names. And of that list, there was only 32 duplicates, which was amazing. Amazing. But, but that that whole whack of names, you think of it, ninety of ninety percent of them aren't going to be very good, even without even doing trademark work. So, it, it, what we start to do is some uh, some dot voting and reduction of that list. But it, it's at that moment where you got this mass of names before you start testing it, having your lawyer involved in that, having uh, doing some knockout searches because that process takes time. And that's the, the biggest variable in the whole process as well is depending on the jurisdiction, if, if you're working in the UK or Europe, Europe, trademarks can move relatively quickly. In the United States, it can take a long time. Um, and so you might end up getting through the whole selection process and doing some of this, but then you've also got the the the, this balancing act between building the brand and completing the trademark processes. Um, and so it, it's, it's something you got to hit early and be aggressive and focused on and work with the right people. Yeah. Do you actually decide whether you need a globally available name during the strategy time, you know, when you're setting the parameters? Yeah, for sure. Because if you know you're going to need, uh, if you know right up front that you're going to need, uh, uh, if you're building, say, a Google or a tech product that's going to be used in multiple jurisdictions or even a, a financial services product that might be used in multiple jurisdictions, knowing that is going to be the most important and complicated wrinkle of the whole project because now you've increased the complexity of finding an available name exponentially. And also that might determine the type of name you choose because if you go for suggestive names and you need to sell a number of different products and services globally, you're, it's going to be really tough doing availability searches and actually ending up with a name that you can use for all your purposes. I think that's why companies like Zumba ended up with totally made-up names because the nature of their needs indicated that they should have a made-up name rather than something too descriptive. Yeah, and, you, and then and the other piece that you're hitting with this is there are phonetic issues. So uh, 
if you're going to be operating in China, you probably don't want to have an L in your name. That's fine in, in English language, yeah. but not in, uh, in, in other cultures. Uh, the other issue we have with suggestive and descriptive names can be that they have different meaning in different dialects in different uh, countries. And so you, yeah. the, so the safe route is often to be an, an invented or abstract word. Um, and, and that makes a lot of sense, but, uh, I guess the one thing that is interesting and challenging is for whatever reason, I think it's because of the internet, English still becomes the dominant, uh, language of naming. And so we, you, you have a little bit of, of conformity on that, but if you do want to stand out, then, uh, finding an available name that is a proper noun is becomes exponentially more complex the the number as you increase the number of regions you're entering yeah so do you actually choose names at all for any of your clients in your agency so at Siggy Branding, we facilitate the naming process and uh, we will advise on on the on the whole process from strategy to generation to testing and selecting. Um, but we are not a, a full service agency. We're a strategy consulting firm at, at our core. And so we'll advise in terms of uh, that, but we also really do believe that the the client should be empowered to own the decision uh, because they, what I really do believe is how do you unlock the creative genius of your team versus proposing something that the, the client then adopts. And there are cases, obviously, when you want to outsource the whole process. But uh, I have found, at least in my clients and in the work that I've done, that uh, inside that organization, when you empower a team with process and structure and guidance, they come up mm -hmm. with better decisions that they're more proud of that, of that they own. Sure, yeah. And also... I guess you guard, you tell them to guard against falling in love with a name, do you? Oh, for sure. So one of the number one re reasons when we start a naming project is they already have a name that they can't use due to trademark issues. And so mm -hmm. they, they've already fallen in love with something. So in some cases, we have to throw a mini funeral to put that name to rest uh, and, and, and move on. And so in the, the the whole cycle, there's always an implied expectation that you never fall in love with a name uh, because until you know that you can own it, you you can't actually have it. And so, by creating the 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 environment where you're working with a lot of potential options and testing and selecting them, it gets you more analytical and and focusing on it. Whereas if you don't have process, you tend to focus on the ones that you like. And if you find one that you've you've spent some time with, and not only do you have that preference of it because you created it, but you might have preference towards it because you've experienced it longer and that creates uh, an exposure bias. So uh, we definitely want to not uh, get emotionally attached to anything until the end. On a number of occasions, I've come across clients who really want a name and they want to know, how can you get it for us? And I say, well, that's not how it works really. And if they've insisted on having a name, I suggest setting aside a budget for litigation down the line or 
you know, buying the brand if they can or just rebranding if if it proves necessary. But there are people who just go ahead because they love a name. It's amazing. Yeah, and it's uh, and I come across that too. And you realistically, unless you are willing to, um, unless you're going to be like Apple and buy up the businesses that own it, uh, there's there, there's not much recourse because they will sue you. And especially going into litigious environments like America, then you you really have to be careful with that. So if you can't get the the trademark or if you're going to be marketing for somebody else because they own the domains and social platforms, then you got to move on and and that comes up. But I find budget is a very effective way to put something to rest because I see it more often in domain names where they absolutely have to have a .com and then they see that the name's going to cost something like 100000 or $500,000 and they're like, wow, that is more than I want to invest in a URL. Um, and there's that. We, But we also see it when companies are entering countries and they hadn't done global searches. So say... Uh, they are a Canadian company and they're entering the UK or Australia and they come across an incumbent. Well, then what do they do in those situations? In some mm-hmm. cases, if the companies are large enough, they will buy out the local partners. And there are a, a number of stories where they uh, they go into an, an environment and uh, and make the decision to buy them out. Actually, Southwest Airlines uh, did something similar uh where they uh they they had a trademark infringement and and uh and bought the the rights from another company yeah that's why i always suggest people actually register a trademark because if they're just using a name they're less likely to be bought out by someone mm-hmm. uh because then they're opening themselves up to litigation and having to prove that they were using the name which is very costly for small businesses. For sure, yeah. yeah. I think uh, trademarks are one of those areas that are easy to overlook. They're perceived as uh, as expensive or or even perceived as not something I need right now. But in Mm. the realm of things that you can be haunted on with a business owner, uh, they're up there. So I, I think if you are building a brand, you are creating... IP or intellectual property, and you've got to defend it. And this is, these are the kinds of infrastructure choices that you've got to make uh, at the very beginning of your life cycle, whether you're a small business owner or an established company launching a new product or service. Yeah. How do you advise your clients to actually set the boundaries around the project in terms of if if a name has to be available globally or you know it may be that in some obscure country it's not available how how should they manage their expectations around what global actually means the interesting thing is global is is not actually something that comes up all that often the uh-huh. majority of of com- Companies are focused on specific markets. Like we are going to go after Commonwealth uh, uh, English-speaking countries, including the United States, or they are focused on just a local market. So, in order to create a truly global brand, those those organizations are not 
the the average. And so if you are so in that kind of scenario, you have to prioritize the regions that that you are operating in and what do you foresee as as a as a time frame of operation because if you're not going to be there for for five or ten years, then you could be adding a whole lot of complexity early on that may not be warranted in this type of an exercise. So I think your strategy and your clarity, you might not be able to predict what your business will be and have that kind of stretch for, say, the next 10 or 15 years. But this is still an entity that you need to build and grow, and you're going to move to market fast. And the purpose of a brand is it's the packaging or the encasement of your business. So this is a profit-driven center. Even if it's a not-for-profit, you're still trying to create a, an entity and uh, and you can't be perfect. Yep, sound advice. So which brand do you particularly admire for their name and why, Jeremy? Oh, this is a great question. There's a lot that I, I thoroughly love. Uh, the One of my all-time favorites is Twitter, uh, especially when you compare it to all the other social media platforms. It's it's a, a suggestive, evocative name of what the platform is like, and it has informed their entire identity and, and ethos from the beginning. Uh, Tesla is another great one in terms of that just that uh, hat tip to uh, Nikolai Tesla and its style. But you'll see whimsical names. There's a a company called Big Ass Fans, which manufactures, Mm -hmm. as you'd expect, big ass fans. And they came up with that name when they're – they used to be called HVLS Fan Company, which stood for high speed uh, or high volume, low speed fans. But their customers kept calling them up and saying, are you those guys that sell those big ass fans? And the management team leaned into it. And so I think there are so many brilliant names and often it's the origin story or the decisions that are made to, to get there that, that lead to that whimsy and that energy that we identify with. Great. Thank you very much, Jeremy, for appearing on the podcast. There's a wealth of information there for listeners. So really thank you a lot. Shireen, I really appreciate it. And thanks for everything that you were doing as well. In my experience, people turn to design far too soon when they want to make any changes in their business. So if you're rethinking or reinventing your business at all, you may be interested in attending a no-charge webinar that I'm running on the 5th of August. There will be breakout rooms to facilitate discussion with other attendees and also some useful guidance to help you set your brand strategy. If you want to come along, just go to brandtune.com and right there you can sign up for the webinar. Not only will this give you access to the upcoming webinar, but you'll also get access to the previous sessions on IP and identifying an ideal client. And I would love to connect and hear from listeners. So if you have any follow-up questions on the content from this week, you know, from Jeremy Miller's session, or indeed from previous episodes, you can just send me a voice message giving your name and question. 
And who knows, I may select your voice message to respond to next time. Just send your email to info at asrights.com. That's asrights, A-Z-R-I-G-H-T-S.com. It'll be in the show notes. Asrights is the name of the company that owns Brandtuned. And it's a product also, Brandtuned, that belongs to Asrights. So in the next episode of the podcast, I'm going to be discussing continuous improvement. It's an excellent way to speed up your progress in business. So be sure to listen in and find out more. That's it then, over and out.